The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another installment of Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You can find our show at Dugout Study Hall on Twitter, where you can send us your comments and questions, or you can email us directly, dugoutstudyhall at gmail.com. I'm your host and expert, Layman Matt Goodwin, and as always, I'm here with my co-host and your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. In this episode, we'll be looking at what we can learn from 60 games, what we can learn about this year, what we can tell about this year as compared to last, and what we can figure for the next 60 to 120 games of this year. Joining us to talk about all of that is Roto-Gut himself, Mr. Vlad Sedler, Tout Wars champ, NFBC league winner, and self-described fob whisperer. We've got a lot to cover, but before we get to it, Vlad, how you doing? Doing well. Really glad to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is going to be a really like f- packed episode, I think. We got so much to talk about, so much of your brain to pick. Um, but before we get to all that, Alex, I'm going to make sure that I give you your space. I don't want to ignore you. How are you doing? My feelings are fine. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> no no hurt feelings here whatsoever. Okay. We're all good. That's good. That's important to me. It is. I, it may sound like I'm being facetious, but I'm not at all. I care about you, Alex. Um, Appreciate it. So, Vlad, again, thanks for joining us uh, here on Dugout Study Hall. Uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of space to talk a little bit about like your thing and and um, where we can where people can find what you do, but also a little bit about your history, how you came into it, whatever elements you want to talk about. You don't have to talk about anything you don't want to. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, first of all, really appreciate uh, both you guys having me on. Uh, you're both uh, very interesting follows uh, on Twitter and and you know up and coming in the. Uh, in the space. So uh, happy to be on. Uh, yeah, I mean, on Twitter, I'm at RotoGut and uh, my work can be found uh, for, for season long fantasy on fantasyguru.com. Our sister site is uh, Elite Fantasy, which is the DFS site, and I do some work there as well. And uh, for those that don't know me, I'm you know, just somebody that's been playing uh, for uh, a really long time fantasy baseball, uh, really since, uh, since the turn of the century. Uh, kind of got myself into the uh, the, the NFBC and, and some of the high stakes formats there over the years. Uh, kind of a player before analyst uh, because I started off playing and doing well and then sort of meeting people in the space and got my first job over at Baseball HQ. Uh, had a really cool column, the Barometer article over on Rotowire for a few years before I joined Fantasy Guru. And that's it. Just been here ever since and just, you know, trying to spread uh, good energy and hopefully good knowledge to the folks on Twitter. 
Absolutely. A little bit of a humble uh, backstory there for you, Vlad. He's uh, won, won, has done his fair share of winning in the circuit. Um, Alex, anything you want to jump in and say here before we get to the the meat of the the episode? Uh, I feel like there are a lot of people um, that I have like maybe unfollowed because I haven't liked their takes. I don't say that out loud. <laughs> um, Vlad is not one of those people at all. And I'm really excited to have him on here uh, because I do really enjoy how process oriented you are and yeah. how kind of like that will set you up to be wrong and right, not in equal measure necessarily, but kind of like in a public and kind of like followable and understandable way. That's kind of a lot of what we like to do as well. You know, it's very easy to kind of see the bones of where some of how your thoughts come together. And uh, that makes for, I think, a really interesting person to talk to you, hopefully for us, uh, but also to kind of like follow over the year and, and uh, kind of check your priors a little bit. I, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. And one of the things I'm definitely not afraid to do is to to uh, take my L's and, and point out uh, the mistakes <laughs> because also by kind of putting it out there and uh, it, it allows me to not ignore them and actually, you know, work on it. You know, we're, we're always yeah. constantly work in progress in life and, and obviously in, in fantasy baseball. And so, yeah, we just, we just keep uh, trucking on and, and learning from it and getting better. Well, I think it's great that you're willing to do that in a public way. You know, our thing here is to try and empower the people who are listening to be able to do some of this stuff on their own. Um, I guess maybe putting ourselves out of a, a little, a little bit out of a job if we do it too well. I guess, right? If, mm. if we don't have to follow Alex if we can do it ourselves. But um, one would hope. In, <laughs> in all seriousness, to do it in a public way, um, you know, I, I don't know that there. are uh, a ton of people who've had the success that you've had who are also willing to go out there and, and, and be open about that process, what works, what doesn't work, where you're going to try and get better. And I think it's great for the, the industry. I think it's great for the people getting into it. Um, I, I just, I really, you're, you're a great follow uh, and, and everything that you put out there is really uh, informative and helpful. And, and that's the part that I like the most. Uh, you know, I'm a teacher. What do you, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's what we're, we're, I was Alex too. So that's what we're looking for is, is the empowerment and the, the capacity building. Um, all right. The, we do segments here. Um, the first segment is called number of the week. And, uh, for this episode, I just put 60, uh, because the focus here is 60 games. We've passed the 60 game mark for this season. Uh, we know last year only had 60 games. So it, it's kind of a nice round number, uh, to be able to, Make some comparisons, maybe talk a little bit uh, about the first 60 games here, what what that means compared to last year, what that might mean for moving forward. Uh, so I, I guess what uh, the first place to start is like, what's maybe like your biggest takeaway from the first 60 games so far of this year? Um, Vlad, I'll start with you. Um, it doesn't really matter which direction you want to go. It can be more fantasy. It can be more more just on-field baseball related, uh, but maybe like the, what, what do you think the headline of the first 60 games uh, of this year is? I mean, it's the MLB tinkering really is what it is. And it's so unfortunate. And uh, basically what we're seeing now with, uh, with, with Manfred and, and what they're doing in major league baseball, it's really kind of a shame uh, to see what's going on. And, and they're just, you know, we're, we're just all kind of pawns uh, along the way. We're just trying to enjoy our, pa- our favorite pastime, enjoy this product. And, you know, to see the, you know, these pitchers uh, getting accosted, have, you know, the ball change uh, and all this, it's just wild from year to year, just, you know, give us some, some consistency. Uh, one of the things, I mean, to many people, it's obvious we're seeing, uh, we saw the type of ratios, ERAs and, and whips that we're getting out of uh, some of these pitchers and how, you know, beginning of this year, everybody would 
if work to continue this way would be like, you know, in the, in future seasons, start sort of gravitating towards drafting pitchers earlier. Mm-hmm. And now we, you know, we don't know what's going to be over the course of the next, uh, you know, 80, 70, whatever games are left. Right. Uh, and also what, um, what other changes are in store, because I don't think even they know, uh, uh it's just kind of just, you know, kind of going as, as they go. One of the things I noticed is, you know, on, on, in addition to the ratios, obviously everybody knows batting average across the, the, the league is down, uh, mm-hmm. considerably. Um, but you know, power numbers actually aren't, I'm looking back at, I'm just looking at, you know, just like average uh, home runs power, all that is you know, a lot of these guys are kind of on pace for, for similar numbers, but what's interesting, like if you go to, to like fan graphs, for example, like almost everyone's isolated power is down considerably. Mm-hmm. That's just something that I, I happened to notice when I was looking into a couple of, a, a couple of case studies, like the, the surface numbers are on pace for the same or through 60 games. They're the same as they were last 60 games uh, last season, but mm-hmm. ISO's down like 50, 80 spots so, or you know, points. So that, that's something that's was unique to me. Hmm. So that sounds to me kind of like if batting average is down and ISO's down, but the home runs are still happening. That means that you're probably going to have what, like fewer doubles. I'm trying to figure yeah. out how you piece together that math, but that, that seems like my best guess is like some of those things that, you know, might have been doubles now because of how people are playing might be outs. I got to continue to look into that because that's like a trying to trace the where it shows up so you can figure it all out is a weird puzzle. But here we are, a whole different world yet again. Uh, did you do any of those um, Memorial Day and NFBC like redraft or draft again? Or I don't really know what you would call them leagues. So did any of those? I didn't. I purposely did not because I overloaded myself with uh, with, <laughs> with draft teams this year. So I did a bunch of best balls. Uh, draft champions. And then I did, um, I usually do six, seven fab leagues, um, you know, free agent bidding. And this season I did 12 uh, and that <laughs> includes TGFBI and man, I will never do that again. It's just, you know, you, you get caught up in draft season. You kind of know what's yeah. happening during drafts, but just, you know, drafting is just so addicting. We love it. Uh, and before you know it, I got all these teams to manage and, and, you know, the article that I put out over the weekend, the fab, uh, the fab values and, I end up spending a lot of time on it. Um, yeah. So it soaks up a lot of time. So um, I, en- I enjoy it and I like doing the fab, but I did not for that reason play any Memorial Leagues, but a, a friend and colleague, Rob Silver, uh, pulled mm-hmm. me into a league by just putting my name on it, really. Um, he, <laughs> We have a group chat. It's, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a few of us and, and, and Rob put all four of us, or he just said, hey, if you guys want in, you know, it's a $350 entry. So I was like, after I saw the team and, you know, he's a big Blue Jays guy and it was really Blue Jay heavy. I'm like, okay, I guess that can't be too bad. All right, cool. Let me, <laughs> let me throw down 75 bucks. And now all of a sudden I catch myself adding that as a 13th team to fab because I just have this like OCD. I can't let the bids go as they are. I'm like, no, 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 we got to, oh, we got to move stripling up. We got to, you know, you got one more floor is against all the lefties, you know, making all these tweaks. So all of a sudden I have 13 teams, but, uh, but no, I did not draft any of my own. <laughs> Yeah, I, I ask because, you know, with all those tinkering sort of things, I feel like it'd be uh, very, very difficult to try to figure out what reality you're, you're sort of drafting into. And um, I'm kind of lucky that I'm not yet losing it in my hair, but I feel like I would get myself there pretty quickly if I had to, like, <laughs> actually sit down and figure that out. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you that, like, this is the big story. Um it's expressing itself in some very weird ways. Um, I'm in a couple like very casual home leagues that I tend to pay too much attention to because I enjoy like 
talking crap more than I enjoy winning sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's really weird to see some guys who like do not know very much and do not try very hard end up with, you know, teams that have like a 3-2 ERA mm-hmm. um, here in July. And you're like, that guy's ace is like, um, you know, Tarek Skubal. How do you have this ERA? <laughs> and uh, it's it's a very different environment to try to figure out. Um, and I do not really want to have to come back and like write myself that letter that so-and-so's ERA is impacted by the fact that they mm. got hurt at the beginning of June and then like missed half of like, you know, the sticky ball, like figuring out era. And then their ERA looks relatively good because they played so many more of their games in like the spider tack era yeah, or whatever we're going yeah. to end up calling this. Well, so, you know, a couple of interesting players as you talk about that makes me think about is uh, Byron Buxton and Adalberto Mondesi, who mm-hmm. are, if you knew that they would stay healthy for a season, you're talking about first round picks. They're good fantasy players, at least Mondesi much yeah. better fantasy yeah. player than he is in real life. You look at like points leagues, Granted, not very many plate appearances, but uh, points per game, yeah. they're basically at the top. It's, you know, it's Bucks and Mondesi, you know, albeit very, you know, very small sample. But it's it's interesting to think like, okay, let's forget Buxton even got injured uh, and he had that, you know, uh, amazing start. He was like hitting 380 and then he got hurt. But, you, you know, you know, kind of know Buxton's like, you know, he's like a 250 hitter. Sure, he can have that outlier season, maybe like hit 300. But I wonder how folks are going to evaluate him, you know, next season, it just take away even the injury risk, but just in terms of like projecting average for him, because he's going to have that sort of asterisk for this season where, you know, even when he comes back and say he starts hitting again, he can end up hitting, you know, he's going to, his, his, it's going to end up being like a 340 average or something like that. So that yeah. gets weighted. You know, think yeah, about yeah. last year, how much that 60 game sample was weighted, uh, you know, just based on what just happened there. We saw how many guys in those first few rounds of drafts that had they not broken out in 2020, they wouldn't even have been, you know, so high up in, in ADP. So just, I don't know, just kind of a lot of words there to say, um, you know, where would those guys go next year, Bucks and Mondesi? Yeah. Well, I think it brings us back to kind of the, the overall concept of the episode was that 60 game mark and what it, what it can tell us, like, um, what's actionable, what we can use as like evidence for what's going to happen next or to predict what's going to happen next. And what maybe is just a 60 game sample size as we saw last year that there were some guys who stepped up and, um, you know, there's a lot of eggs in their basket, so to speak. And, and maybe it didn't really pan out this year because they didn't get a whole full season, um, uh, of, of information. So, um, I, I want to ask one more question, and then I kind of want to circle back to this idea, uh, especially in terms of like the the super competitive leagues and what that looks like, and uh, because this is fascinating for me, and, and I really want to pick your brain on that. But uh, I want to ask both of you. Uh, let's talk about actual players and and on the field stuff. What's been the biggest surprise for you so far, Alex? I want to start with you here with this one. What have you been most surprised by? Uh, either with a player or uh, a fantasy thing, something like that. But but like on the field. Uh, not um, not Manfred related. <laughs> I feel like it's kind of hard to answer that question because the answer I want to give you is like the guys like Freddie Peralta who have just suddenly turned into magical super arms. And and I guess here we are recording this on like a string of days where like all of that's probably going to get like super overanalyzed whether or not we can really believe into that. But like that's the sort of stuff that's been shocking me, right? Mm-hmm. Is like 
all of these guys well freddie peralta's had good stuff actually for a while so maybe he's not like the perfect one to point to but like you know throw a dart at whoever you drafted somewhere between you know pick uh like 150 and 300 and like a handful of those guys are pitching like what we would have considered Cy Young contenders 10 years ago if we didn't care so much about wins. Mm. Uh, so, like, that's probably the thing that's, like, most interesting to me. Um, the other thing is, obviously, like, there are so many, like, playing time or, like, position battles that, like, there's just no way you could have guessed that uh, Taylor Naquin was going to start as many games and then, you know, after that happened there's maybe a couple like signs if you want to pretend you're really smart that you could have read backwards that he would have been really good if he was playing full-time in cincy um but it's those sorts of things where like my version of surprise is the stuff where i just genuinely do not know how i could have put myself in a position to have made that guess Uh, and i think that's kind of like the two camps of things that i think uh fit that best yeah. Vlad, what's been most surprising for you so far? Uh, I don't know about mo- most surprising, but I, but I uh, there were a couple of uh, 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 players, for example, I was just talking about how there were players that I was personally avoiding at their ADPs for this mm-hmm. year because of the small 60-game sample. I just went back and looked at them because I don't really have many shares, uh, but they're actually literally quite on pace to to what they were doing last year, and that specifically is, uh, is Teoscar Hernandez. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and Dylan Moore and with Teoscar, I mean, I should have just gone all, all in Blue Jays, but of course, you know, to, to do that's pretty expensive. <laughs> you know, second round Bachet, third round uh, Guerrero, on from there. Uh, but but you know, Teoscar started falling a little bit in drafts. The biggest concern there was he was basically before his breakout year, he was basically like a two forty hitter. Yeah. Uh, and and everybody was thinking, oh, you know, three fifty Babbitt, he hit two ninety, like that's you know has to regress. He's going to be like a two thirties guy again. He's at 300 so far this year. His on base is the same. His uh, he's decreased his walk rate. I'm sorry, his strikeout rate. Walks mm-hmm. identical, 6.8 percent. Steals on pace, six through exactly the same amount of plate appearances, pretty much the same. Six stolen bases last year, four this year, nearly the same counting numbers. So it's uh, it's really interesting. The same thing with Dylan Moore. Obviously, he spent some time on the IL mm-hmm. uh, a couple times, but you get you pretty much are getting what we thought we'd get. Uh, although with a much lower batting average, we knew he was going to be a batting average risk, but Mm -hmm. you know, last year, 160 plate appearances, 12 steals, 170 this year, 10 steals, you know, six homers, eight homers. It's all sort of the same. Um, and so I guess I'm, I'm, I guess that 60 meant something, you know, a lot of it does come down to, 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 you know, plate appearances and, and, you know, position in the lineup and things like that. But those are just two examples that stuck out to me. Yeah, well, I mean, now it's 120, right? Because it's 60 and, and 60 more. So yeah. it's just a little bit more evidence that maybe this is this is where we're at with that, those guys. Can I throw one quick no. wrench into that Teoscar yes. yes, uh, comment? Uh, do you have any worries about him moving away from Little League Dunedin and like mm-hmm. playing in a big boy ballpark? So the, 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 you're talking about the Buffalo Salem field? Yeah, I, I get, is it, is that that much different? It's, like, I, I feel like, it's, I feel like I, I really know that Dunedin's weird, but I'm not as familiar with Buffalo. Dunedin's just like a, you know, it's like a kid's park. So that play, had they played there all year, every winning team overall is going to be is, in, in national competitions is going to be loaded with Blue Jays on them. Yeah, right. Uh, people that stack <laughs> Blue Jays are going to just crush it. Uh, this park is, is really good. I mean, it's basically top, you know, I mean, it's 90th percentile in terms of, uh, you know, uh, advantage for hitters. 
Um, and even someone like Guerrero, he's still, he's still hitting well in Salem. It's, it's, it's on the road and against lefties basically where he's not as, you know, MVP as, mm-hmm. as he is, a, a, as he is at home or against righties. All right. Yeah. I feel like that's just something I hadn't checked in on, uh, recently, but, uh, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. I think I'd seen a lot of the, um, projectors talking about how they were tinkering everything just slightly up for hitters whenever mm-hmm. the news broke or didn't, I guess, really break that they wouldn't be back in Toronto. So, yeah. yeah. And with T. Oscar, Park Factor is part of his history too, right? Coming over from uh, St. Louis. So, I mean, it's it's definitely... Was, was it St. Louis? Wasn't it St. Louis? Houston. I remember. Yeah, he was, a, he was yet another one of those guys who was in Houston and then had a good year and after they didn't really value him. Kind of like J.D. Davis, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, anyway, park <laughs> factors are important. We do know that, and and we've talked about that before. Um, uh, so I want to do. I do want to circle back here, Vlad, to something that is really. Um, I don't know. It 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 floats around my head a lot, and that's uh, the fob process. And I know that you're you're way into that uh, and waivers and stuff. But um, how do you? So let's say you're talking about needing to replace somebody in the IL, or there's somebody who's starting to show signs of a breakout. How is it that that you, especially in the leagues where you're competing with people who are all like really zoned in and uh, and on it, um, how do you know when to kind of go all in on a guy and and how much of your overall budget you want to spend? How do you kind of strategize around that uh, in your different leagues? Well, the one mistake that I made this year was the one that I, I kind of know I'm making as I'm making it, and that's overspending early on and not even on anything uh, amazing. It's not like I even, you know, three weeks ago or whenever it was that Alec Manoa came up, it's not like I, yeah, I'm sitting here spending, you know, 30, 40% on, on somebody like him. It's just a lot of sort of wasted money. Like I have two closers, but I want a third one. So let me go after, you know, Stalmont. Let me go after mm-hmm. Dolis and spend 10%, 10% here. And it all adds up. And when you think yeah. about it, a thousand dollar Fab budget is thirty-seven bucks, uh, you know, a week basically that you're spending. So if you if you're spending one fifty on three players, you know, uh, the, the first week, and it just kind of really dwindles down. Yeah. And I understand at this point in the season, most most people are are you know have three hundred or less. Most people that are competing and playing, and so the stakes have changed. Everyone is now spending less. You can now get these guys uh, for for a lower price. I was able to get. Mm-hmm. Jesus Sanchez everywhere in, in 12 teamers for, you know, eight to $12 where had he been called up uh, you know, a month and a half ago, that would have been triple digit bits. Same thing, Sammy Long, um, not even anything proven whatsoever, but coming off that one great uh, start that he had, uh, it, he again was somebody that, okay, you're thinking San Francisco, good home park. Like if he sticks, there's some value here, especially in, in, in like 15 team leagues. Um, but what I'm doing basically is I'm, I'm, doing as much as much as I can to not let recency bias affect me mm-hmm. and not let what I just saw happen. Like, you know, uh, cause, cause, cause chances are, for example, like a Mark Martin Maldonado just went, you know, uh, uh, 10 for, for 24 in a week and had five homers. It's because he went to the rock, you know, faced the Rockies and cores yeah. and then, you know, in, in Dunedin or something like that. Yeah. And the next week he's like, he had, you know, another interleague series and they're facing like, you know, DeGrom and Stroman and then, um, you know, all these good pitchers. And, and yet people are still locked into like, Oh, he just had this big week. I got to get him. He's, he's breaking out instead yeah. of realizing how, 
fickle, this idea of, you know, these players there, these slumps just happen. So, you know, it's so much based on who your opponent is, the context of it all. And so what I'm trying to do is be as forward thinking as possible in not overpaying, you know, avoiding, you know, uh, paying 250 for Tyler Naquin when, you know, that first two weeks or whatever, because he went off, um, you know, things like that. Or uh, uh, this week, for example, looking at uh, San Francisco Giants, they had 14 straight games where they were facing uh, right-handed pitching. So like, of course, Austin Slater isn't going to play. He only starts against lefties. And of course, Lamont Wade was, they were just riding the hot hand, leading, letting him lead off for a while. Um, and so I'm thinking about it like, okay, Lamont Wade's been great, but I'm not going to go out of my way to get him. First of all, they only have five games this week, three are against lefties. He's probably going to sit some. Oh, wait, let me dig deeper into the roster. Oh, okay. Uh, um, Alex Dickerson's probably coming off the IL soon. Darren Ruff is coming off the IL soon. They have mm-hmm. to, you know, demote somebody to, unfortunately, you know, it's, so things like that, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm really looking at it compartmentalizing as much as I can for the week uh, because, you know, anything can happen the following week. Somebody could be in the minors on IL or whatever. So I really try to, um, you know, bog down and compartmentalize for a week or two. So I wanted to like back the truck up just a little bit and not just because the idea of a 39 year old Martin Maldonado breaking out is kind of a fun uh, thing to envision. Uh, So, you know, we've got, you said like what, 37 bucks a week. Um, Yeah. You've probably made some choices on purpose about how you're spending that money though. Like, there's more return on investment money spent in April, May, probably, than it is when it's spent in August mm-hmm. in terms of how much value you get out of those dollars. So it makes sense that people have already blown a lot of their budget. Are you also kind of factoring in that, like, we're probably going to learn the most about who's changed or broken out early on in the year? Is that, like, a part of why people spend more money early on? Or is it just that our fingers are itchy to, like, spend cash? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 not wanting to miss out on on the big thing and not thinking about how long the season is, what a grind it is, and then how many more uh, players are going to get injured that's going to create opportunities for new people and how many new prospects are going to con- yeah. continue to come out. You know, I mean, there there's always something to spend on every week. And when you think about that, it kind of allows you to maybe take it down a little bit, like really dig into the bid. Like, am I bidding on this player because uh, everybody else is, or, you know, or is there somebody coming back on this roster off IL that's going to maybe cost this person playing time? I'm just looking for, for context. I'm looking for playing time, uh, good skills, good minor league pedigree, preferably uh, and some sort of history in the majors, maybe. And then knowing that they may have a role on the team on a good offense in a, in a productive environment, maybe even with a good schedule. So digging into all those things, like sort of layers and peeling the onion, usually the best bet, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds a whole lot. Like if I had to sum up everything for like the, the week to week grind thing, you know, we're not trying to pretend that like our priors about how good someone is have suddenly changed because three balls landed two feet over a fence. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think really can be difficult for a lot of us. Um, I'm really interested, kind of curious. Uh, you're probably not dealing with necessarily the same people who are available to bid on that all people who are maybe in either like shallow or leagues. And like, how deep are most of the leagues where you're doing these bids? It's uh, I so I, I play two things, prim- or two contests primarily, and then just do several teams in it. One is the NFBC main event. That's a 15 teamer. It's it's rather competitive. And then the 12 team online championships, 
that has a, a $350 price point and has a nice overall price. So they're paying $150,000 to, uh, to the winner. And there's a lot of bad competition there. There's a lot of people that, uh, that give up. People, you know, but there's already people are giving up earlier in those contests than ever before. And, and it's not even a football thing. Folks are running out of money or they're so, you know, far down in the standings or they forgot to do a week of fab. There's so many different reasons. So now we can be more discerning with our funds in those contests and not spend uh, as much. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, it's, it's having two different tracks of thinking because in 12 teamers, sometimes it's, you know, it's difficult to figure out even who your drops are sometimes this year. It's easier because, you know, it's, oh, this guy's going on the IL for 60 days. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's just two different animals. You have to like do all your 15 teamers first, then go down to your 12s. And then, you know, kind of, kind of like that because you're dealing with a different player pool even. So, I mean, you've obviously been right. Uh, a lot about uh, who to grab and when to grab them and how much to spend on them. Uh, I've had a lot of success in that way. If there was one thing to boil it down to, um, and I know you've said a lot about all this stuff, but like a one sentence, like what's, what's the, the takeaway for how to be right more often than you're wrong with fob. I would say it's, it's being in, um, in the zone of, of a fantasy, right? Cause if you step away for a couple of days, uh, from something, it's really tough to catch up, but just knowing all the teams um, flows, like their transactions, their lineups, uh, their, their starting rotations, and just kind of having that all at the, at the forefront helps make those decisions easier. Uh, but uh, honestly, you know, schedules really do have a, 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 a big, a big thing, a big part of it. So I feel like I often see everyone just like, here's all of the guys that I got every Sunday night. Um, and it feels like everybody's sort of in on everybody. Uh, it sounds like you kind of do actually have to edit it down and actually pick and choose a little bit. So are there any, I take it probably that your trends for who you're picking or if you're, if there are two uh, potential breakouts, you're probably going to be bidding more or trying to win the guy often more often who has the better schedule is like, that's, is that like at least a trend that we're probably going to see from some of the th- guys you're winning more often? It's, it's, um, it, they're, they're almost in two different pools. They're, they're, they're players that are just rentals. They're basically, you know, you're churning and burning and you're using them to fill a lineup spot for the week. And then there's guys that you see long-term potential in the longer term potential guys are really tough to add these days because we don't have a lot of flexibility with our benches, especially where I play in NFBC, it's a seven player bench with no IL spots. So I have to be very careful who I'm using. Of course, there's, it's great. You have a lot of multi-position eligible guys. So you, you know, those are really helpful. You draft those guys and you, you know, you can kind of, you know, mix and match guys into, you know, corner, middle, whatever. Um, But then it's tough. Like for example, on Sunday, I'd mentioned uh, Bailey um, Falter, who is, I mean, in a 12 teamer, there's no reason for him. Even in most cases in a 15, unless you have a fully healthy bench, you're not even taking a stab on a guy like that, that may or may not, you know, join the rotation. It would take like an injury or, you know, something, but it's a guy with talent that you're kind of scouting in advance. The problem is somebody like that. He can't be like at the top of your conditional list or, or of your bid group, because there's always, uh, the, the, there's always somebody else. Right. I mean, like this week it was like, uh, uh who was it? like Jake Odorizzi was available in some 15 teamers with, uh, with, with a nice two-step, and obviously had that good start. Um, you know, Bailey Ober was worth this, a shot because he's already in the rotation now. Some people had dropped Kwang Young Kim, who I'm a fan of, who I thought was solid. Um, you know, so you can't make a guy like that a priority. Then you got to like think about kind of one at a time. Do I want a Bailey 
how do I rank like a Bailey Ober versus a Zach Thompson on the Marlins who's in the rotation for now um, and, and those decisions. So I end up spending a lot of time on those little minute details. And so I'll look ahead at the schedule. Who are they facing the next few weeks? Are they usable? Can I use them in my starting lineup? Because I'm not going to make Zach Thompson, for example, a priority if you know he's going uh, uh, at Colorado, at Dodgers, and I just know I can't use him the next couple of weeks. He's not really worth taking up that roster spot for me the next right, couple of weeks. Right, right. So uh, I want to transition into a slightly new topic, but with the same sort of spin um, away from the fob and more to so just kind of general league management and playing in these high stakes uh, super competitive kind of leagues. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people in fantasy, uh, who play fantasy are, are far less, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, maybe devoted to the day to day and, and, and all of that. It's a little bit more casual. Um, but they're still into, you know, seeing what you're doing on Twitter and, and following people and reading articles and all that stuff. Cause they just, they love to absorb the content. But like you said before, there's a lot of things that get in the way of day-to-day management, right? Work and family and <laughs> paying bills and cutting the grass and all those things and how easy it is to maybe sometimes miss a, a fob run or something like that on a Sunday night because, you know, your kids are doing whatever. So uh, that's a lot of words to kind of get to the idea of what you're doing and what you're kind of tweeting about and, and, and the the content that you're putting out there. Um, some of it, I think, uh, you know, obviously for people who are playing in similar type of leagues, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's deep, it's, it's researched, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, but I was, uh, like I was talking to Alex beforehand, like if, when I watch the U S open over the weekend, I, I'm going to go play golf tomorrow. <laughs> what can mm-hmm. I take away from watching, uh, you know, uh, uh Rom win the U S open that I can bring to the course tomorrow as like, I can make my game a little bit better by kind of emulating something that he does. And what do I have absolutely no business trying to bring onto a course being a, a you know, a mid to high handicapper. And and so like with the decisions of the things that you're doing and the difference between high stakes and more, the more casual player, what are the things that, that um, you know, the, the casual uh, fantasy baseball player can really take away and what are some of the elements or the nuances that, that maybe uh, are more geared just for those high stakes type things. So the most important thing is the, the, the be, being able to, to take it seriously and recognizing mm-hmm. that if you're playing fantasy baseball, it is an absolute grind. It's, it's really tiresome. I'm actually, actually uh, uh, stepping back a little bit on latest article that I'm writing uh, and, and it's less analytical or, or stats based. And it's more about kind of the human element of it mm-hmm. uh, and how, I mean, shoot, it's June and it's not even the all-star break. And I'm already kind of, you know, I'm getting tired because, yeah. uh, you know, I've got so many teams I'm managing. I got to do it right. It's, it's for the long haul. I'm competitive, you know, competing in some of these. So the, the first thing is really like making sure that you don't sort of, uh, bite off more than you can chew. Right. And that starts in, in, in draft season. Right. It's yeah. about, uh, yeah. you know, pre- preparation. I mean, obviously draft fab is obviously and and fab and, and lineup um, sort of management during the season is obviously a very key component. Some people might say it's 30% of it. Some might say it's 60% of it, mm-hmm. but it all really starts at the draft. So kind of spending that time in the, in the preseason to, trust something, whether it's, you know, something you build yourself, your own you know, model evaluation system or, or, you know, projections or, you know, articles, whatever it is really kind of um, having like a focus, like a draft plan, a, a strategy in mind going into the season, executing that. And then knowing 
that you have this entire, you know, this really long stretch of time where you have to commit a certain amount of time per week to this. Uh, and I set myself up in a way where I will always have that period, you know, a few hours, a period of time on Sunday to do this because I have no choice. I'm invested in it, um, you know, financially and mentally. And thankfully my family understands it and I make time for them as much as I can, but I always have that period of time where it's just like, it's, it's, you know, do not disturb hours. Yeah. And, yep. and this is what I'm working on. So kind of a lot of kind of rambling just to say like, you know, you, you got to dedicate. It's not like fantasy football where, you know, a couple of years ago, our accountant, my accountant never set, you know, in our work league, never set his lineup and ended up winning the league. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. I and mean, fantasy baseball definitely is, is a marathon. Um, and, and it is very easy to get kind of out of it. Um, there's a lot of energy at the beginning of it as everybody's so amped. And I think this year, especially, I don't know if you're seeing this more this year than, than in years past, um, people kind of like falling out of it, uh, really early. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people were just so excited for baseball to be back and in, in, in a more normal way and looking forward to being able to maybe actually go see a game this year and itching to draft, 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 draft. And now you look up and you've got 15, 18, 20, you know, maybe 25 teams. Um, and managing that is just, it's just not feasible. It's not possible. I've got more leagues this year than I've ever had. And it's not even that much. And even I'm like, I, I'm out on this one. Like, I, I, there's nothing, nothing I can do to come back. So I'm not going to put, you know, time into that. I'm going to kind of try and triage that time into these leagues where I, I feel like I've got more of a chance. Um, and I'm certainly not uh, the player at at, at uh, your level. So um, I, I, I think a lot of it this year has to do with that energy going in, that enthusiasm, and that excitement. But man, it, it is a long season, and mm -hmm. um, especially coming off such a short season last year, uh, it's uh, it's a commitment for sure. Alex, how do you feel about all this? Um, well, I think I've learned uh, that I really need to play more baseball. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of actually my uh, my interesting takeaway at this point, that I'm going to have to like, write as like a letter to myself for uh, February 2022, is uh, <laughs> maybe even like do a couple of the ones that have some money associated with them, just because I think that'd be a... If I was going to do any of that at all, I don't know. I, I'm young and don't actually have money to spend on dumb things like this. <laughs> um, but, you know, if anything, that'd be the only thing I'd be interested in doing. But I really would like to do some more of those leagues because it's really funny uh, to kind of look back into, like, the one, um, like, best ball league that I did through uh, Pitcher List. We had, like, a blind co-manager one where myself and uh, someone else, like, took turns basically drafting. And it's it's fun to dig through um, who my co-manager picked that I really hated. Uh -huh. It's like, I was so annoyed that they drafted Jared Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, there's something really enjoyable about like not having any control and just watching the consequences come in um, that I am enjoying a lot more than stressing about um, which of my eight injured players to drop. It's, yeah. it's a whole different uh, animal. And I think it's, it's uh, it, it's a completely different strategy with best balls. And to be honest, I, uh, it's not my comfort zone. It's, you know, the, even because some of these are, they have to be set up sort of like in point style, um, but there's, there are different strategies to it. Like, you know, you see people in football, they're thinking about their overall build. Like, how are you covering all your positions? How are you covering floor versus ceiling players yeah. to be able to, you know, cover weeks and, and baseball is a whole different animal with that. Uh, I still even haven't mastered it. Like my comfort zone are leagues where I can make week to week, you know, fab. Uh, and I think part of that is because I do have a sort of propensity to kind of give 
injured players the the benefit of the doubt and it just mm-hmm. never ends up working out i mean like yeah you know, myself as well i mean like fine i mean you know hopefully i didn't just jinx carlos correa because he's somebody i'm like <laughs> oh if you could just stay healthy you'd be so good finally he is and you know but like you know next week it's il for the rest of the year for all we know and you know, sure. there goes that theory yeah uh, I want to ask you this before before we kind of switch gears to um, another element here and, and talking about actual players. Um, what's your preferred format? Um, either let's talk about this in two two places. Um, I don't want to make anybody feel bad about their their actual like uh, league, but like in terms of like teams and the way it's scored. What what's your preferred format? Doesn't I don't mean like necessarily TGFBI yeah. versus NFBC. I mean like if you were to to create your own perfect ideal league, what would it look like? I mean, I play it. That's what I feel like. It's uh, it, it is NFBC Roto, um, the the fifteen team format. I'm just absolutely uh, obsessed with it, and I, I I think it's. I'm not going to use the word perfect because it's not. There are so many things that could change. I don't think they're going to. But just the standard five by five, the way the game was created, I'm all right with playing with that. And maybe I'm just you know in a, a, a dinosaur now, and I don't want to <laughs> change. But like. I'm willing to adapt to whatever if they were to say, okay, we're eliminating the win and we're making a quality start. Okay, great. That's going to be additional work, but I will prepare for the following season with that in mind. It's going to shift things a little bit um, and maybe less luck based, which is, uh, I mean, that has its good and bad. And same thing with saves. People are always complaining about saves and and a lot of people recommend the solds. Like my, you know, my colleague Ray Flowers is a big proponent of saves plus holds and he plays in, in leagues that way. And, that works too. And then again, that opens up a different element of, you know, yeah. now you're considering these, uh, you know, Garrett crochets of the world that, uh, you know, you, you wouldn't otherwise in, in, in standard leagues, but standard Roto is, five by five is my favorite. I've run into this really particular and sort of um, dumb thing in a league of mine that is like quality start and save plus hold where uh, you might have a reliever who ends up with the win and mm-hmm. it's like the one outcome where they don't earn anything for you. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting how there's just always a trade-off where something yeah, yeah. doesn't work. And uh, I do think the recognition that um, as long as the thing that kind of sucks sucks for everyone, um, it's livable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody's playing by the same rules, but I'll tell you something that used to kill me was uh, I played a lot of points leagues and, and, uh, like a, a a closer going out and getting like a blown save win and covering the loss, like oh my god, that's that's brutal. Mm-hmm. Like you you blew the game, but you get these ten points for that win. That's that's not right. Um, so uh, I'd like to transition into talking about a couple of players, and I'm going to actually start with a name that's not even on our rundown uh, here. So uh, I I hope that it doesn't throw anybody for a loop. But I'm really curious about what both of you think about this player and who the real Kyle Schwarber is. Uh, I don't know which which of you would like to to jump on that first, but uh, okay. it's been a real interesting year for Mr. Schwarber, and uh, I'd love to hear what both of your brains have to say about that. Okay, I'm curious as to why you're bringing this up, but I will say there have been a whole lot of um, MLB uh, at bat notifications uh, going off on my girlfriend's phone with Kyle Schwarber's name on it. We live here in DC, and uh, she is a Nats fan. Um, I'm not allowed to call myself a Nats fan, but she is. <laughs> and uh, it's been very, very fun uh, to kind of see that all happen. Um, we kind of started out this whole bit talking about the 60 game yeah. um, flukes. And I think it was a nice kind of little footnote for draft season as we're kind of going in this year to say that, like, Kyle Schwarber is. Uh, streaky player and he had a bad streak and then a good one and then a bad one last year and here he is um after about 60 games finally healthy this year and on a really good streak 
Um, I think a little bit more about like what he tells us about how we get prepared. Um, I've always been a big fan of, I think like, as I have to call them, like the, the big beefy dads um, who are really <laughs> good at hitting balls really hard and really frustrating a lot of the rest of the time. <laughs> and I think if I'm going to take one way to, or one thing away is that we kind of always knew that he could be this guy. And it's really frustrating to see the long vision for players like him often. And I'm sure that he has been dropped in some pretty shallow leagues and spent entire weeks uh, just going off uh, <laughs> and ready for someone to bid some fab money on him. So to to me, Kyle Schwarber is exactly who he is. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Like, who he always thought he is and exactly, you know what you're getting. You just have to play it the right way. If you're in a 15 team league, you're just starting Kyle Schwarber every week because you don't have the depth really to, to have the, the, the luxury of, 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 of benching him. Uh, you play him in a 12 team league. It's really simple. If you see uh, say three or four uh, lefties in a, a coming up in the week um, of six games, you just bench him or, yeah. or whoever else you have, you make sure you get somebody in for him because the splits are, are as clear as day uh, for him. I mean, even power alone, he's got, what, 18 homers this year. Um, obviously, um, only a third of those at-bats of his at-bats this season have come against lefties. But only one of those 18 home runs uh, have been um, against the lefty. Same thing. Look at his uh, his power totals against lefties over the years. Granted, three times the amount of player appearances against righties. 124 homers against righties, 15 against lefties. Yeah. 240 average to a 199. So it's you're just playing the numbers there. Uh, Schorber yeah. is most likely not going to lead off against the lefty, but he's in that position now. And then every year, there will always be that period of time. And I literally just said this two weeks ago on a podcast before this happened. I said, it's too quiet in Schwarbersville. Like he just got to his team and he's just kind of been doing nothing. Summer of Schwarber is coming up. And that's exactly what happened. He went on his barrage. What's going to happen now? He's going to quiet down for a bit. He'll lose his, lose his leadoff spot for a little bit. Then it'll warm up and they'll have a really nice schedule. And then it'll hit another eight home runs during the week. So you have to be able to ride those waves and, and yeah. time him perfectly. And a little bit easier in, uh, like you said, a, a deeper league where you don't really have to make that decision because the alternative is just not, it doesn't have any, anywhere near the upside. Uh, but I think this is an important distinction to make too, that you, know, you talked about um, Roto being your favorite, but in a head-to-head, this becomes even more important that you're on which Schwarber you're more likely to get in a given week uh, because you you lose the week, right? That's a bigger, a much bigger deal than just having to absorb some stats in, in the course of a week. Um, all right, I want to talk about somebody that's in the notes here um, because, again, I want to hear each of you and what your brains have to say about Alec Bohm and what is going on with Alec Bohm. Well, who's, who is he now? Who's he going to be? What are these 60 games tell us about him? I mean, to me, Bohm is, I mean, he was going top 100 overall in, um, in NFBC leagues and obviously huge pedigree, third overall pick, like absolute monster in the minors and a phenomenal start to his rookie season, right? I mean, or in that rookie season, played 44 games, not even 200 plate appearances, but he hit almost 340 with a 400 yeah. OVP. Yep. He was a monster. So that, that sort of uh, over overvaluation, if that makes sense, was sort of baked into the price. Yep. And to me, that wasn't worth it. Like I'm looking like at, okay, 
just in turn, this is how I think about it logically and why I ended up with no bomb on my teams. Mm-hmm. Bomb is like almost no major league experience. And then you have Justin Turner, this quintessential pro who's hitting in the middle of one of the most lethal offenses in baseball. Yeah. And he's going 200 to 20 ADP. Why don't I just wait for Turner? And you can play that game all day and kind of move guys around. So to me, that just didn't, you know, didn't make sense. Uh, why I wouldn't pay for the price? But also these guys, rookies come up and then pitchers adjust to them. And then a lot right. of times they struggle a lot in their, their sophomore year. So that's kind of what you saw. My assumption at this point is he's already, well, he's already heating up. I'm kind of thinking now's a good time to sort of buy back in when the guy's hitting 233. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I saw, um, I think it was Rudy Gamble making an interesting point um, about uh, another uh, young not really a third baseman who had had some trouble with uh, maybe grounding out a little bit uh, that plays for a team that I think he might support. Um, and I'm not going to say that Alec Bohm is suddenly going to lead major league and home runs, uh, win an AL or NL, I guess in this case, MVP or anything like that. Um, but I do think it's really important uh, to kind of like check your priors on like how talent versus like having a swing that seems like right now it's leading into a few too many ground balls kind of like which one of those is going to win out um no i I agree with you that like people were definitely buying in a little bit too high and maybe not like kind of thinking about exactly where he was at in that moment but uh i think right now we're kind of sitting in a position where uh yeah i i don't really know exactly how people have suddenly shifted who they think this person is uh just because uh you know some grounders essentially uh, I, i've joked that he has kind of like a, a, a short bout of a yandy diaz syndrome where he's uh mm-hmm. killing more earthworms uh than he is like actually producing and uh-huh. uh it, you know <laughs> it's my prior is that at the end of the day if you're the sort of person who can get drafted third overall you've showed some work ethic throughout your career you've shown some success you can probably make some adjustments and uh you know approach things at the play a little bit differently and i really do think that guys like him who show a lot of power a lot of discipline are worth watching in the long run, but very frustrating in the short run. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to kind of make those notes in your notebook right now about how you feel about him. And then you go check in at the end of the year. And when you're getting prepped next year to make sure that you're uh, approaching people um, with a certain sort of like, there's going to be some variance in how things can turn out and just kind of having a good realism about it because uh, we're going to be wrong. uh, I think about a lot of people next year uh we got to be able to actually like pull some things away from him and i think he's a very interesting uh check your priors case yeah so i mean you're alluding there to the some parallels potentially with a different vlad um uh, who plays general in a normal year would be playing north of the border um so uh i want to ask you where were you at with guerrero before the season started because he was very divisive uh in draft season because he'd been tough and people had invested a lot of capital in him while he was still kind of going through his growing pains. And obviously people who invested in him this year are super happy about it, but there, there was a, I think a fairly reasonable argument for, I, I don't know. I like, I don't want to invest that capital again this year and have what happened to me last year happen again. Uh, so I, I'm very curious, where were you at on, on him before the season started? So either you, either you have me muted on Twitter or you're setting this up grandiosely for <laughs> the podcast. Cause I, I'm his biggest proponent and I drafted him on just about every team I possibly could. Um, my kind of, my big thing, I guess a few years ago that I think a lot of people remember or know is um, I pretty much um, uh, pegged the Christian Yelich breakout season. Uh, and it was a very similar situation. Basically I said he was going to be a first round value and, and MVP candidate um, didn't actually think win the MVP, but uh, it, a lot of it had to do with the, 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 
the the natural talent, the ability, the skills he had shown at that point. And um, it's just a little bit of a fix, like, you know, to, to hit, to stop hitting so many ground balls. Right, right. But everything was the perfect storm there where he was, you know, changed teams uh, to a good, better park and just a lot of situations there. Guerrero is kind of my guy for this year. And this started to me way, this started for me way back in November where what I was waiting for, it was like a, it was sort of the catalyst. The factor I was waiting for is his own recognition and physical change. That's what it was, is I needed to see that he realizes that, okay, this, this, everything's just come so easy to him in his life. His son of a major leaguer. It's very easy to um, let yourself sort of uh, go and just kind of go through the motions. And there was a specific quote. I remember in the midst of his weight loss, he had lost like 30 pounds at a certain point. He's like, he's like, I'm seeing what Acuna to T Soto, these guys are doing. I want to do that. I want to be like them for me, that recognition. And the fact that he actually stopped eating, you know, all the fatty foods that he loved and made, showed the, uh, made those changes, showed the weight loss. I was all in, like I I had to get him. That's what I did. And, and maybe a part of it subconsciously is because he's my namesake and it's Vlad and Vlad, (laughs) but I was just feeling it. And so this, I love, and he was my MVP bet. I, you know, placed a wager on him uh, preseason for MVP except for nice. freaking Otani. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so um, the closest that I will probably ever come to that was being a year early on when you should be drafting Otani. <laughs> um, I, uh, in our PL um, like ranks last year, I had him like at 12th on my board. And like, wow. I got a bunch of crap from people. It's like, I wrote a big long article on how like in the leagues where he should, you can grab him as two players at once. Like he was producing like, Yelich on a on a game to game basis as a batter, and he was producing like you know like a well we had no idea actually as a pitcher he wasn't that good as a pitcher because he was hurt at that moment. Uh, but you know did did some math that I actually now think is a little bit off, but pegged him as like a you know in a traditional sort of like auction sort of situation he would have been like a sixty dollar player if like things broke just even mildly right. And I was like I'm hedging that. I had him like twelfth. And I got a bunch of crap, and he was bad last year. And then this year, I uh, did not overspend on him in the couple of places where like he was two players. And uh, I have him in like one dynasty league, and um, I am just the absolute most in in on Shohei Otani, and I will not benefit from it anywhere near oh. as coolly as uh, the way that you can kind of just like bring up that yellowish thing. And at this point, I feel like there's some of us who can kind of like have a laugh whenever you bring it up because we know you're very right about it. Uh, and at this point you deserve to continue to cash in. But like, I think you, you and I both know it's like, people are like, all right, who's the next guy. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, and that's, I want to circle this back right to bone because those, those are both scenarios about timing. Right. And so when, I guess my, my ultimate question is, do we think that Bohm is going to go uh, the route of, you know, Vlad Light? I, I, to say that he's going to go and be as successful as, as, as Vladdy's been this year, is, that's just an unfair thing to say, even if he does do it. That's an unfair expectation. But is that kind of what we're looking for? Like, like he's going to fix a couple of things and he's going to be the talent that, that people thought he was going to be? Or are, is this more of a hedge? I think if... He's so, so, so far he's like a 23, 24% strikeout guy in the majors, which is basically way off uh, what he's been. So always showed much better play discipline in the minors. If, and again, he didn't play in AAA, but uh, if his skill set from his pre-pro days, if he's able to uh, sort of make those adjustments in the pros, you're kind of looking at like, I guess, a more powerful Michael Brantley 
Um, okay. Even Brantley was injured, you know, in, in his prime when he could have had more power, but I mean, Brantley's impossible to strike out, right? Like over the, fact, the last five years, nobody's got a lower K rate than him, high walk rate. Like he's just great. So I think that's kind of a good comp. I know you probably body wise, you know, think, think it it's similar, but I think there's something there. Like, I don't know if you can't say Vladdy light necessarily, cause I don't know if he'll ever hit 35 plus, but um, he can be a fantastic batting average asset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking Anthony Rendon light. Yes, um, that's a good one. Sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I guess skills. that was misleading. I didn't mean in terms of like the prototype of the player, but more like the trajectory of the skill set rising above kind of the struggles. Um, all right, I want to move into our our second to last segment here. We call it pass fail, and and really this is this is a no brainer, but it's an opportunity to talk about this guy, uh, and I think we need to talk about this guy. So um, usually, what we do is are, are we passing or are we failing this decision? I don't think anybody's going to fail calling up Wander Franco, uh, but it was a nice place to put him in so that we could talk a little bit about expectations because I, I do think it is important to to remember, you know, these guys are are huge pedigree guys. Everybody's talking about them. Everybody wants them on their team. Everybody wants to have them rostered. Uh, but there is always the, you know, the Jared Kalenics that come up and, and just have a hard time out of the gate. Not that that's going to happen. But what are, where, and again, we're recording this on a, on a Tuesday night and it's going to play on a Friday. So maybe he's torn it up by the time uh, people at, at home are listening. Uh, but talk, talk to me a little bit about Wander Franco, how you feel about him, what you think the rest of this season looks like, and maybe what the rest of his, what do you think his career comp might be? Uh, Kirk comp is hard. I, 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 of course. I, I go with, I go with, um, I, I want to get a feel for him. I want to watch him a little bit because I haven't seen much of him. I, you know, obviously you read about a lot about him, like everyone else, top prospect in baseball. That's, uh, you know, there, there, there are high expectations for him. Sure. I'm always thinking about it from, I, I usually don't think about it from a super macro angle. I'm just looking at it in terms of like fantasy production, valuation, Um, what, you know, how does everyone else feel about him? You know, can I ever, because there becomes a certain point where, um, when a guy's overvalued, especially with all that hype, there's never, there, there's no profit available in, in fantasy, right? Like depending on how he, how he performs this year is probably going to be a first rounder. I mean, he could be like the Acunas and Sotos right away. That kind of seems like his trajectory is kind of like that next guy. Um, I'm thinking in terms of, of, of this season, of how much he's going to make the race better. Like this is fantastic. Just seeing him plugged in the two hole right away yeah. as a, as a, as a rookie um, and how much better he's going to make that lineup. Like, like for my Austin Meadows, who was actually, he was technically my next year's Yelich. The reason we didn't use Guerrero <laughs> because he didn't steal bases. It was kind of obvious. So we went with Meadows or I went with Meadows, um, but he's, this is going to help Meadows tremendously. And just mm-hmm. to, you know, have him in that lineup there with Randy or his range just, the way that they mix mix things up with like a leadoff man, just keep uh, you know opposing pitchers on their toes, like it's just perfect, man. To see him homer in his in his first game, and and I'm just really looking forward to seeing what this guy's got. Yeah, I think it's really hard to overstate just how much of a unicorn he is, and trying to compare him to people feels like it's going to be impossible. Uh, that's the fun thing, though. Um, it's really really fun from like a. I don't roster him in a single league sort of a standpoint that um, this guy is doing things that like, from like just a profile from like a what he is good at at this age. Nobody is like him. Mm. Um, I mean, like, I guess you can say that, like, at this point, Juan Soto's got probably similar ish, though not exactly the same, like strikeout and walk projection ish sort of stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't even know how you would necessarily compare them. I guess it would be really cool to be able to uh, sit down and just scream into a podcast microphone with some people here in a year and a half and like be able to utter them in the same breath. That would be awesome. Um, I I think at this point, though, like you're not going to get him in a single trade. You're not picking him up in a single league. Um, and you're just hoping for the best if you happen to have him on his roster because on your roster, because like at this point, you know, it's really interesting to think there are people you can acquire. Um, you can probably go out and get Alec Bohm in leagues that allow for trades. Yeah. You might be able to sell Kyle Schorber if you want to in <laughs> leagues that are out trades. Um, I do not think that Wander Franco is going to get traded in a single, uh, league by a person who is, uh, taking the game seriously. Um, Unless Maybe somebody's a couple, offering well, a couple something just, crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I would say, like, they're not going to be a whole lot of, like, two serious players uh, where that player tra- trading hands, if that makes sense. It would be. Um, it might be fun. There are a couple of sites out there that actually show what, like, what people are trying to look up in, in terms of, like, offers and who should I trade for. for, for I, want, I would love to actually see who, because yeah. mm. you know what, like, I, I hear what you're saying, Alex, in terms of, like, serious people probably aren't moving him for um, for myriad reasons but there are definitely mm-hmm. places where he's going to be traded and i would love to see what those deals look oh, like man, me too. And, and the names that are that are going to go back and forth uh with that um all right I feel like i'm gonna have to check in on like uh i think like people like cbs uh mm-hmm. will probably have a lot of that data just under their thumb so i'll have to tune in to their pod probably soon yeah. uh, to see what they have to say I, that's sort of like yeah mm-hmm. yeah listen to the people who have the data that we don't have <laughs> yeah right 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 um, all right, I'm going to move into uh, our last segment, which is off the books. And I'm actually going to go a little rogue here and uh, bring up something that is sports-related, but not necessarily baseball-related, and then ask if, if either of you think that there might be some sort of uh, ripple effect into to baseball. And mostly that's because baseball has a robust minor league system. Sports like basketball and football look to the NCAA uh, to kind of be their farm system in a lot of ways. Um and so the the topic here is obviously this recent SCOTUS ruling on on NCAA athletes and, and their ability uh, are, to get paid for the work that they're doing. Um, first of all, uh, you know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on on what happened and, and the outcome there, and then if you think that there's any sort of potential impact on. Um, on the way that Major League Baseball does business or potentially even into the minor league system of baseball. I know that there's a big difference between amateurs and pros and underpaid pros versus amateurs is a different animal. But um, anyway, I'm going to stop talking and let you guys answer that and just talk a little bit about you know where your head's at with, with what the, the ruling was and, and uh, what impact you think it's going to have on sports overall. I mean, I, I love it. Uh, I love the fact that it was uh, a unanimous uh, Supreme Court decision. And I mean, it's it's obviously it's been a long time coming. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's uh, NCAA is, uh, you know, it's a shady group. And so it's nice to have a little bit of systems of, of checks and balances there. Um, I think it's definitely going to help um, a lot of the top schools recruit uh, better. Uh, but I think it's probably going to be, I'm trying to figure out, even I was thinking about it before the show, like what the real connection is in baseball. I really kind of just see it help um, kind of football and basketball more, but I'm, I'm sure there's something there if I really think about it. So the way that I would think is that um, if you're a potential high school prospect and you're considering uh, heading to the MLB draft, um, you can essentially potentially negotiate. I think in the future with some colleges to potentially have some money on the table there as well. Uh, potentially. I, I think actually the larger benefit is probably going to be for softball. Um, softball players are probably going to be able to get some of those mm-hmm. name image and likeness uh, deals because 
softball and people probably are aware these days because people bring it up has a higher like viewership for like the college world series and the men's game does uh but you know you might be like let's say that you're a potential pitcher or shortstop that's looking at going to vanderbilt uh there might be some guaranteed money or income on the table Mm -hmm. um that there may not be necessarily if you're going to be going and heading out to someone's um or you're heading into the draft and there's uncertainty about where you'll be picked and like exactly what your offers would be. So I imagine maybe that like a little bit of extra competition could mean that teams have to pay out a little bit more for players. Um, I, yeah, again, I think that baseball probably slightly less affected in the long run and, but the ending just push it all to just keep potential minor league players from not getting stiffed by teams is important. Uh, the bigger stuff here pretty clearly is going to be on, you know, like every other sport yeah. that we see. It might be interesting to see what the ripple down effects might be, though, if, you know, teams end up in a position where they're cutting um, NCAA baseball um, because I don't want to say that they, they're, they're actually forced to financially. They're not forced to financially. Um, the amount of money that's taken in by a lot of these schools for football is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the way that they distribute that money is not always like the most smart there's a lot of money that gets spent extravagantly on stadiums that they could just choose not to and they would probably turn some more profits so um i think it's it's incumbent upon us to kind of take away some of the lessons from the ruling which is that you know there are a lot of schools and institutions that are not being very serious um when they tell us something about amateurism or something about spending and it it's our job to kind of ask the important questions about like what's actually good for these people and uh what's possible um and uh yeah i think it's a good moment to be hopeful about the future of like people being paid to play sports that are doing incredible things and deserve to be paid for it yeah i mean one of the things that that i i'm curious about moving forward and and i don't know again i I know that um underpaid professionals are very different than unpaid amateurs. Uh, I, I totally understand that. But at the same time, it feels like the spirit of this decision was uh, corporations built upon significantly underpaid labor at its at its base um, is problematic. And if you look at what minor league baseball players are getting paid, it seems to fit into that same paradigm. Uh, totally different situation, I get, but if again, spirit versus letter of the law here, I, I do wonder if this may be some really creative lawyers out there, some some uh, some people, some good thinkers can can maybe leverage this into something, some better conditions for minor leaguers, or if maybe some of those minor leaguers are are, are future minor leaguers are going to opt to go to college programs as opposed to being drafted in at at really young ages and and foregoing college. Um, I, I think it's very, very interesting, but I, I, I really love that, that the decision has come down and, and uh, at least it, it empowers these athletes to make uh, some, some decisions for themselves and in and, and ways that uh, let them leverage their ability. I and mean, the, the fact of the matter is, too, that a lot of those college athletes are not moving on to professional careers or at least long professional careers. So it gives them an opportunity to leverage that talent. Um, all right. Any, uh, any final words on any of this before we wrap up here on this, this episode? No, I just, uh, you guys bring up some good points there. And, uh, I mean, if there is any potential ripple effect that works in a positive way for them, for baseball's minor league system, that would be uh, phenomenal because it's, yeah. it's long overdue. Yeah. Um, I'm not, um, a lawyer, 
Uh, I do not work in labor. I do not work in any constitutional law. I only play uh, one on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's very important. Uh, the people who do that stuff uh, pretty well, though, um, I, I want to say that it, it's been a great time to be kind of tuned into all that because uh, it's good to be hopeful in that sphere for once. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. Vlad, thank you again so much for being here, sharing that amazing brain of yours with uh, with our listeners. If you could just tell the people one more time where they could find you. And I am at, uh, uh, at Rotogut, R-O-T-O-G-U-T, over on Twitter. And uh, fantasyguru.com is uh, the site that I write for. And just want to thank you guys both uh, for, for having me on. So it was a, a fantastic sort of flow to it. I love it and uh, happy to come on any other time. All right. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back real, real soon. Uh, Alex, thanks for being part of this with me as always. And if you could just let the people at home know where they can find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at dugout study hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.